0: Welcome back to another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And today we've got a fun episode, just the three lawyers, me, Pete, and my dad. And we are going to go through our five most frustrating rules of evidence, meaning during a trial, what. A jury is not allowed to hear and what rules we think are too restrictive. We're going to explain those to you and explain how we think the rules should be written. So each one of us is going to bring five rules. We haven't haven't shared them beforehand, so we don't know if there's going to be any crossover, but it should be fun. As always, if you have questions, you can post it on any of our social media platform pages. At Tragos Law is our handle. You can send me an email, petertragos at greeklaw.com, but just sit back and enjoy this one. It's going to be fun. All right. So today we are going to run through a countdown of our five least favorite rules of evidence. That's kind of what I called it, but really we're going to, we can go into or venture into anything that deals with jury trials and legal rules that prevent juries from hearing certain things in trials. And that can be through the discovery phase or whatever you guys want it to be. We didn't really put a lot of parameters on it and we don't know if we're going to have any crossover, but we're each going to start with our fifth, fifth, and work our way towards our first and jump in if we have crossover. So Pete, why don't you start with your fifth?
1: My least least favorite rule is uh, dealing with police reports. In the rules of evidence, the police report in a car accident, for example, does not come into evidence. The police officer has to actually show up and testify to anything that that police officer observed, not what was said to him by any of the parties. So I think that that's ridiculous that the police officer is actually physically there on the ground. His report designed to memorialize all the stuff can't just go in front of the jury.
0: So it's funny because that is a crossover. That's also my fifth. It's, it's different, but the same. So mine is when somebody's ticketed in a car accident case, that ticket ticket does not come into evidence. So a person gets ticketed for failure to yield or speeding or running a red light, and that doesn't come into evidence.
2: See, I I have an opposite view. I'm glad that doesn't come into evidence because I don't want the police officer testifying to what witnesses said. I want the witnesses to come in so I can cross-examine them.
0: Yeah, but if there is no direct witnesses for it, or if you had to put a bunch of witness statement together, sometimes two years down the road in a car accident case, it's harder. And the bigger problem, in my opinion, is that a jury is sitting there wondering, why didn't this person get ticketed? That's what I think. I think a jury sitting there wondering, if he's at fault, why didn't he get a ticket for it? And they could have gotten a ticket, and the jury just never finds out about it. So that's, that's my fifth as well. So, Dad, what's your fifth?
2: Sidebars are bench conferences. A lot of times jurors are sitting there and the lawyers say, Judge, can we have a sidebar? And that's because you don't want the jurors to hear what you're saying. So the defense lawyers, the prosecution, they all go to the side uh, of of the bench of the judge and they have these conversations. I am sure that jurors are sitting there speculating, well, what are they talking about? And if you're in the middle of a question and the answer is interrupted, the jurors are going to speculate, well, what was the answer? Why are you up there? And they're going to think, whoa, this must really be important, and yet we're not going to be able to hear it.
0: Yeah, and that's one that is kind of an honorable mention for me is, and I don't know how they would do it, so that's one of the reasons I didn't put it on the list is I don't know how they'd fix it, but having a way where the judge explains who wins or loses an objection or what the reason for the objection is, because I think it would throw out a lot of bad lawyering where lawyers are objecting to stuff that doesn't make sense, or so the jury could know why you're objecting to something that does make sense, and then the judge has to explain why it's not going to come in. I mean, I think that gets into a little bit of a rabbit hole, but I would like for the jury to understand more what's being objected to and why and what decision the judge is making. Yeah,
2: sometimes I think we ask jurors, uh, too much of jurors. I really or too the, little. I really believe you mean, in the jury You mean process. we ask
0: too little of them? Well, no,
2: what I'm saying is that you're saying to them, you know, ignore objections. Well, that's asking a lot of somebody to totally ignore what he sees in the courtroom and nobody explaining to him what happened. Right.
0: Yeah. And I would like, that's why I would like some kind of explanation around the objections. Why, as opposed to they're trying to figure out based on the judge's tone and the judge's look who won or who lost, or if the judge is mad or the lawyers get mad if one doesn't go their way and they're reading into stuff that might be wrong. I'd rather just explain to them the truth. And if you don't like a reasoning for your objection, you shouldn't make that objection. But a lot of times lawyers do because they know the jury's not going to find out why they objected to that. So that was an honorable mention for me. All right, Pete, number four for you.
1: Number four for me, uh, and it may take a little explanation, is felonies and crimes of moral turpitude. And the rule basically says that if you are convicted of a felony or a crime of moral turpitude, meaning a crime involving dishonesty, those uh, convictions, not the details about them, but just the fact that you are convicted gets to come in front of the jury. And the reason I said it's going to take some explanation is because there are so many things today that are felonies that were not felonies 200 years ago when this thing came into practice. There's also a whole lot of but fours in this rule. In other words, here in Florida we have something called the withhold adjudication, which means a judge does not adjudicate you, uh, which means it's not a conviction. So. It doesn't really— So
0: what is your gripe, actually? What do you not like about the rule?
1: What I don't like about the rule is that there are felonies that are totally irrelevant to anything. You know, you got a felony because you were uh, you didn't have the right permit when you were a contractor. Now the jury hears that you have a felony conviction, but they don't get to know what the felony conviction's about.
2: I have a—mine's re- related that I've got, and, <laughs> and that is that a jury cannot find out the details of a prior conviction. Oh, so you you think the,
0: that should come in?
2: Yes, you have a witness. Let's just say that you're in a a case where someone's accused of sexual battery. Well, there was someone living next door who was under investigation for sexual battery. Well, why shouldn't the jury know that perhaps there's another person here that could have committed the crime and he's living right next door? But instead, the juror never even hears that this witness is under investigation or even been convicted of sexual battery.
0: See, and I think the same thing. So mine was going to be along the same lines. Of course, I'm going to go first next time so you guys don't take mine. But... Prior convictions. I think more prior convictions should come out. I think they should know. Now, listen, if you're just a fact witness, I can understand if you don't want the jury to get into your business and you can say, yes, I have a conviction or not. But if you're a party to a civil case, even, I think your prior convictions should be in, should be able to come in. I think you should be able to talk about them. I think if you get arrested, it's going to be a mark on your record unless you can get it, um, uh, sealed or expunged, right. And if you haven't gotten it sealed or expunged, I think that that should come in. I mean, think about what comes in against our clients, Pete, the fact that they went on vacation to Hawaii so that the jury can surmise that they surfed or cave jumped or something, but it can't come in that the defendant has, you know, all the, like a, three DUIs and this is a car accident. A, you're talking about a civil case. Well, I think, I, I mean...
2: I don't think in a criminal case, the criminal convictions against should come in against a defendant.
0: I mean, I guess I, I I could see it kind of cutting both ways because, again, that's something that they can consider whether or not they want to take the stand that their prior convictions are going to come out. But I think that, you know, victims' prior convictions should come out too if they have prior convictions right. that...
2: But I do think that's different.
0: Right. Well, and I also think maybe you could write the rule as if, if they're related to what the case is, then they can come in. If they're totally unrelated, then they can't come in.
1: And realize in the criminal realm, you've got rules that, for example, the Constitution that provides you the right to not have to testify against yourself. So you don't have to get up there. But in a civil case, you got to get up
0: there. Right. And I think I think a better rule would be prior convictions can come in if it's related. So whether it's a felony doesn't matter. Like you're saying, Pete, a lot of felonies don't matter. But if you have a prior conviction, even if it's a misdemeanor, if it's related to this case, I think it should come in. So
2: if you're accused of, let's say you're accused right. of grand besides theft, besides
0: a criminal defendant, I think maybe oh, okay. cut the rules a little bit differently than a criminal defendant because a lot of times that just sinks the ship. But I think as far as witnesses and whether or not they're being honest or whether they're being truthful or whether they've done this type of stuff before criminally, then I think that stuff should come in. I don't know how they'd write the rule, but these are just our our, our uh, opinion. So Dad, what's your was that your number four as well, something like that?
2: No, my, the next one I would do would be sentencing. Okay, a jury cannot hear with the
0: sentence you're taking all of them on, uh, i'm then. sorry right, a ahead.
2: jury should not hear what the sentence is uh, per, uh prospectively with regards to whether or not they're going to find somebody guilty or not
0: so hold on the rule is a jury does not know the sentence correct so that's I think they less, should
2: okay i think they should i think a jury should know that if they convict this guy and, and it could be that he, they, he stole three hundred and one dollars worth of chewing gum and it's a felony punishable by up to five years in prison. I think a jury should know if they convict this guy, he could go to prison for five years.
0: See, I don't necessarily know if the amount of time is, is fair for the jury to hear, but I definitely think that they should hear at least what the prosecution is asking for. I think the, the prosecutor, just like a plaintiff in a PI case, has to put forward what their damages are. I think the prosecutor should have to put forth to the jury what they think a fair sentence should be so that the jury can hear. They actually think this guy should go to jail for 30 days for peeing on the sidewalk or something. But,
2: but see, that's not binding because the judge does the sensing. I, so it I doesn't matter what, a jur- what, what the prosecutor thinks the sentence should be. The I know, judge but, can still give him five years. Yeah, but,
0: but telling the jury the max is not, that's never going to happen. That's not fair. Like well, if you tell a jury he could get up to five years when most of the time they get no jail time to me that that totally blows the rule out i don't i don't think that makes any sense i think it has to be like this crime scores prison or scores county jail or scores probation something like that i think would be fair like so the jury knows like if we convict this guy prison is a real potentially um, damning sentence for this guy, or he's just going to get probation or whatever it is. I think they should know something. I don't think they should know what the statutory max is because that doesn't really fulfill the problem. Right the problem. now,
2: they're repeatedly told sentencing, you shouldn't consider it. Right. It punishment. To do with you. Not just sentencing, but right. punishment. You right. can't
0: take into account punishment. You can't take into account whether or not this guy's going to go to jail.
2: And I think they should.
0: Right. So I think they should know something more than they do. Um, okay. I'm going to go next because all of mine are getting taken. So mine, which I'm sure Pete has it like any good PI lawyer does, is that the jury cannot hear whether or not the defendant in a car accident case has car insurance. Yep, non-joinder. So so we do this whole trial and ask for a million dollars from this poor little old lady sitting next to the insurance company lawyers, and we can't tell them that she has a $5 million policy. They think that this poor little lady is going to have to stroke a check for the surgeries and everything that our client had to go through, as opposed to Geico or State Farm or some big insurance company writing the check. To me, this makes absolutely no sense. It's totally done just because the insurance companies lobby the legislature because it's not like a prior conviction in a criminal case. Somebody's not going to say, oh, I hate State Farm so much that I want them to pay a million dollars. They're just going to say they can afford it, so if I feel the damages are necessary, I'm going to lobby these damages or levy these damages. But if they think that it's, you know, this poor little old lady who's on social security, they're going to say, well, she can't afford it anyways. Why would I give you a big verdict? I'm going to give you 10 grand or something like that. And it just totally is an unfair cut against plaintiffs because you can prove your case and win your case and they still can cut your damages because they feel bad for the defendant. Or if they knew she had insurance that she paid for and was covered, it would be so much easier. And it's just the truth. To me, the rules that are the most unfair is when the jury doesn't get to hear the truth in a case. It's almost like lying to a jury when I say, Mrs. Smith is going to have to pay these damages. Mrs. Smith is responsible when Mrs. Smith is not paying for those attorneys. She's not paying for the experts. She's not paying the damages. Geico is.
1: It is actually my number three. That was my number three. Yeah, that's the
0: worst rule in all of that's my number one.
1: Yeah, But people don't realize because we've tried these cases every time the jury comes back to the question. It's the same question. Yeah, how does the insurance? defendant have insurance?
0: Yeah, and and we can't answer that question. And it is so dumb. And I that's the one good thing John Morgan's ever done is do all those commercials saying those people have insurance. You're not allowed to know about it. He's at least trying to get the word out that 99 percent of the time, if you're a juror on these car accident cases, the other person does in fact have insurance. All right. So, Dad, go to your number three.
2: My next one is hearsay.
0: That's one of mine, too.
2: Yeah. Hearsay. Hearsay evidence is an out-of-court statement for the truth of the matter asserted. Now, what jurors can just, how can they possibly determine? A judge has fine, this hearsay can come in because you're not testifying to the truth of the matter, but you're testifying as to an event actually occurred. Like, someone did say, he shot the guy. Not that it's true that he shot the guy. So but let's, someone
0: said it. Okay. So oh, there are like the a full year is, There's a full year of classes in law right. school about hearsay, but for for a general knowledge statement, hearsay means you can't. I can't say George said that the wall is brown to prove that the wall is brown. I can say it to prove that George said that the wall is brown, but I can't use it if I'm trying to prove that the wall is actually brown. So if you understand that, great. You understand hearsay. If you don't, go to law school. But generally speaking, the reason hearsay is kept out is because it's known as um, uh, unreliable testimony because you don't have the actual what they call declarant. You don't have the actual person, George, on the stand who said the wall was brown. You have me, Peter, saying that George said the wall is brown. And the court and the, the, the people that write the rules, lawyers, think that that's not a reliable statement. You should have to call George. Well, sometimes George isn't available or, you know, whatever, and there's all sorts of rules that go into hearsay, but generally speaking, the fact that anything is from another person and the jury can't hear it is kind of unfair.
1: Yeah. I've got two, my next two are, are, are hearsay, but they're specifics. if you don't mind, I'm going to go into some details. I hate co-conspirator hearsay exceptions um, in court, especially in federal courts, the prosecutor gets to put up a co-conspirator or to put somebody up there to testify to what somebody else that could potentially be involved in this crime said without any um, of the normal safeguards you would expect in the here in here protection i think that's just the worst thing in the world because prosecutor can put up any old fool out of the jailhouse
0: it's the same thing in civil cases where it's you know a party opponent so you can put somebody up there that says what the defendant said So the hearsay rule doesn't apply to that. But it's like, but somebody else can't say something that somebody else said. So it really gets convoluted and difficult. I think it'd be more fair. Let the guy get up and say, George said the wall is brown. Then on cross, you can say, well, you didn't see that the wall was brown, right? No, I didn't. You just heard George say it, right? You don't know if he's right or not, right? Yeah. And then the jury can determine whether or not that statement's reliable.
2: I I, I don't... That's fine. Give me an example. We heard so much about the jailhouse confessions where someone's in jail, and he confesses to a crime, and then he goes on trial, and the guy he shared the cell with comes in in order to save his own life and says, "Oh, he confessed to this but crime." That gets a sentence. But that comes but in as it is. But that comes. That's a hearsay exception.
0: So, but that's my point: is the exception is what makes this so convoluted? It yes, should either it be is. in or out. That's my problem. Is is that right now I feel like it's subjective and semantics of what comes in and what comes out or what doesn't come in. That's the hard part for me is it's like differentiating that statement versus somebody else saying something and you still have the opportunity to cross examine or it should just be, you know, unless the person's dead, which there is an exception for that, that you can't, you have to call the actual person that said,
2: and most of these rules, one of the biggest problems is it's subject to the judge that's in the courtroom, right? Some judges interpret hearsay differently than other judges and they're given a presumption of correctness. And, the, jur- and judges, the appellate judges that review this don't reverse very often on hearsay exceptions. I,
1: I'm just setting up a foundation, Judge. Just setting up a foundation. Yeah. Remember
2: that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's really judge by judge, which is really a, a scary way of doing things.
0: All right. What's your next one, Dad?
2: Well, my next one is judge by judge, um, in that a judge makes most of the rulings on what we've been complaining about. And there are times, for instance, even that sentencing rule that, that I had here, well, the government wanted to put in a document. In the document was the possible maximum sentence for violating that statute, and it came in. So I got to show the jury that the possible maximum is five years or 25 years in prison because that judge thought it was fair if that document came in. And no appellate court reverses judges on those kind of evidentiary rulings. So most everything we've been talking about here is really subject to the opinion of that judge of what he thinks of that evidentiary rule.
0: Mm -hmm. My next one is mandatory minimum sentences. Um, Because, and we've talked about, we've done a whole podcast on sentencing, and we talked a lot about this, but not being able to take into account all the circumstances and what the legal field likes to call the totality of the circumstances, and you can't give anything less than X, amount of years, whether it's for drugs or whether it's you committed a crime and happened to have a gun, even if you weren't using the gun or you have a prior conviction or whatever it is that gets you to that mandatory minimum. To me, they should just be thrown out. There's no reason to do mandatory minimums. You should be able to take into account all the extenuating circumstances before you give a sentence. And I think those are some of the worst sentences are mandatory minimums.
2: You, I absolutely agree. And, you know, when you take the discretion away from judges, And that's the reason it was taken away, because the legislature thought these judges are too soft on crime. So we're going to make sure that we send these people to prison, not taking into account They basically take over the judicial branch. Absolutely. And in Florida, it's particularly egregious. Florida sentencing guideline only says you can't sentence below this, but you can sentence as high as you want.
0: Yeah, that's so dumb. All right, Pete, what's your next one?
2: All right. I call this rule the generally bad guy
1: rule. Uh, it's uh, four hundred three, which is other crimes, wrongs, or acts. It's, in my opinion, I've never understood. This is convoluted. You're allowed to put in evidence of somebody's prior misconducts or bad things they've done to be able to show conformity therewith, but you can't show that you can't use this character assassination.
0: Well, what else would you use it for? And then you can't come back and you know bring everybody from his church to talk about what a good guy he is. You can't do that after they assassinate his character. So to me, that just it doesn't make any sense. You can bring all these people in to say how bad this guy is, but you can't bring rebuttal witnesses just for the reason to talk about how good of a guy he is.
2: One of the issues, though, on character, let's not forget, if you bring character in. The defendant brings the good character in, then they can bring in the bad sure, character. but
0: what Pete's saying is if they bring in these prior bad acts, you can't then call 10 people to come up and talk about how good of a guy he is. That's right. Because then can't. they're going to call 25 to talk about how bad of a guy he is. So you can't respond with this generally bad guy rule. And this isn't on my list, but just one more to talk about that. Do you have any more or no? Are no, you done? Pete, are you done?
2: Well, I oh. could talk about this There's one more. Okay, I've let me do
0: this more. last one real quick, and then we'll get any last thoughts. But mine is... In, in, in criminal defense cases, the way the rules are written, and I thought this is where you were going, Pete, when you said generally bad guy rule, they basically let everything in that's damning to the defendant as much as they can, they try to let in as opposed to the opposite. Like, we sit there in trials and we're like, yep, he's going to let this in. And, Pete, and I'm like, why? And Pete's like, generally bad guy rule. Because if, they th- if the judge thinks the defendant's a bad guy, whether or not he's been convicted, they're going to be really lenient about what they let the prosecution say, what they let the witnesses say, because they're thinking, ah, it doesn't matter. We think he did it. And at that point, there's nothing you can do as a criminal defense attorney, besides protect the record, obviously, if the judge is already kind of agreeing with the prosecutor before the trial even starts. Yeah.
1: I've got one more. Okay. Child on. hearsay. In normal circumstances, a child that uh, wants to report abuse can report that abuse. But in some circumstances, the child tells a, an adult, that adult is allowed to testify on behalf of the child about what the child reported. And, of course, there are some safeguards that are built into this, but I always cringe when we used to get you know criminal cases specifically on this stuff, and you'd think, the mom who is in the current divorce proceedings with the dad who has just reported that the child reported some type of abuse that the child will not repeat, that's coming into evidence just because the mom said that the child said it. And I think that's... Yeah, that's
0: insane. tough. The whole thing with children and litigation is tough and writing those rules is really tough because you don't want to punish the kid and make the kid say it 50 times like we would as lawyers, you know, to try to get what the true statement is. So that that's really delicate on how you handle that. But I agree. I don't think just a mom who's in a legal battle with the dad, their word should just be gold and taken as evidence at that point. I do think that's problematic. All right, Dad, what's your last one?
2: My last one is, in, in the audience, I'll say the Latin term and then explain it, per curiam affirmed, where you appeal, a, a, you have a trial, the trial goes in appellate court that say, look, these are the mistakes, you do all this argument, you, you file all the briefs, and then the appellate court doesn't even write an opinion. They just said deny or granted. And you don't have an opinion. It's called per curiam affirmed, where they don't have to write anything. You don't have to know their reasoning. And that happens a lot in what we're talking about, you know, the bad guy rule. Happens a lot in the bad guy rule, where they think this guy is just so bad that even if there are mistakes in his trial— they're called harmless error. Yeah. And so they do a procurium affirmed because they don't want to reverse the conviction of a really bad guy. And a
0: lot of times, because a lot of appeal, we did a whole uh, podcast on appeals as well, which you can hear more about this type of, uh, of an affirmed um, ruling that they make and other things on appeals, but... The problem is sometimes cases are won on technicalities and sometimes appeals are won on technicalities, but sometimes the judge just don't want to see that technicality if they think this guy is so bad based on all the evidence. And again, it wouldn't make him go free. It would just make a new trial or something, but they don't even want to do that, but they don't want to give their reasoning. So they just basically stamp denied on it and and move on.
1: That's what I call it. You got to (laughs) know.
0: Yeah, exactly. So those are our five least favorite rules of evidence or things that happen in our practice that we think are unfair. Uh, Hopefully you guys enjoyed it and we'll be back with you next time.